Well, we're to that time of year again where we have all these holidays, and they all are compressed together. You have Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year, and it always seems like, uh, to me anyway, a marathon of celebration. And of course, associated with these holidays are traditions, and some of these traditions prove to be helpful, and some of these traditions, I think, prove to be um, hurtful. And oftentimes, things piggyback onto holidays and become traditions that uh, we maybe need to do some analysis on. Should that be part uh, of the way we observe this holiday or not? For instance, on Thanksgiving, there now are football games that are part of that tradition, so to speak. And I looked it up, and I looked up the Detroit Lions, and they begin this tradition all the way back in 1934. They thought it would be a good marketing tool to have a football game on Thanksgiving, and they had great success. And so since 1934, the Detroit Lions have played on Thanksgiving Day, except for four years during World War II. And the Dallas Cowboys are a little slower as a group of people. And so they decided that, they, that this also worked, and they would do that in 1966. And so they've been doing it since 1966. Um, and I believe there was a third one this last uh, Thursday on, on Thanksgiving, too. Someone else has now jumped on the bandwagon. Um, and so we have to begin to ask ourselves, is a football game a good tradition? I, know, I like watching football, so this is not meant to be a ding. But uh, what, what, when are traditions helpful and when are they uh, hurtful is kind of the subject matter that we're going to dive in today. Uh, so to get off to the subject matter of football, another associated uh, tradition with Thanksgiving here in the United States is the Macy's Day Parade. I don't know if any of you watch that. We usually record it when I watch pieces of it, and it's good enough for me. But anyway, this thing is like 90 years old now, and it began by uh, simply letting the zoo animals out of Central Park Zoo. Well, they didn't let them out, but they, they took them out, and they paraded them through uh, downtown New York, and they found out that they scared the kids to death doing that, that that wasn't really having the desired results that they wanted. So they begin to think, why not do inflatables? And the first inflatable that they had at the Macy Day Parade was Felix the Cat. I don't know if you know who Felix the Cat is, so I have a picture of him. And they didn't use helium back in the day that they started the Macy's Parade. They just blew him up with air and they held him up with sticks. And so that kind of shows you uh, what the parade began and what it looked like. And now it's all these floating, humongous uh, balloons and celebration. And it's just crazy, isn't it? Um, at any rate, I think Traditions aren't necessarily bad. There's traditions associated with our nation. That's Thanksgiving and New Year's. And there's faith-based traditions and celebrations like Christmas and, and Easter. And then I think we also have uh, personal traditions that are maybe ethnic in, in their basis. Like we lived in, in, uh, in Pella, Iowa for years. And they had a tradition there as a community that had a Dutch heritage. And every spring in May, they had tulip time. For, for three days. And I, I love tulip time basically for one reason. They had good pastries. And so, you know, I went and ate the pastries. I don't care about the other stuff, whatever, you know. But the, the pastries were really good. And so uh, I think oftentimes traditions have a, a myriad of, um, of backgrounds and sources. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, when are these things hurtful? When are they helpful? And I'm going to do that very thing for this week and for the next several weeks of Advent uh, using 
our faith, our Christianity as the looking glass. We're not going to look at it from a national perspective or from a personal perspective so much. We're going to look at tradition from a church perspective. When, it, when are traditions helpful and when are they hurtful? And this could spill over then into your thought process when it comes to your own observance of personal traditions, but I'm going to limit it to that scope uh, just so that we can get through these messages. So today we're going to address this big question. When are traditions helpful? When are they hurtful? Listen to Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. Jesus gets at the idea of when traditions are hurtful very clearly in this section of Scripture I'm about to read to you. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied by you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. So what we just read here in Mark is, 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 is clarifying when traditions are hurtful. So I'm going to begin there because really we're going to get to when our traditions helpful at the end of the message today and for the next four weeks after that talk about when traditions are helpful. So we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about how traditions can be helpful. But for a few moments let's talk about when traditions are hurtful. First of all, when man-made traditions are expected to be followed in a legalistic way, they are hurtful. When man-made traditions are expected to be followed in a legalistic way, they become hurtful. Now, the washing of hands being referred to here in Mark is not about hygiene, and he even clarifies that. He, it's a ceremonial washing that they were referring to. Um, people really didn't know or care about germs until about the 1800s uh, when Lister and gang came on the scene uh, and began to talk about, you know, sterilization and, and sanitizing through chemical usage of surgical tools. Did you know that before Lister in the 1800s, Surgeons would wear their aprons multiple times as they did surgery, and the blood stains were, were to them marks like a badge of honor of doing multiple surgeries and illustrating how experienced they were. So they would go from surgery to surgery wearing their old clothing full of the goo from the previous person they operated on. That's not very sanitary, is it? They were walking 
sources of infection. So along comes Lister, and he says, this can't be good. It can't be right. And he, and he began to do chemical baths with his surgical tools. And guess what? His patients didn't have as many infections. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here in, in Mark. He's not talking about hygiene. He's talking about this ceremonial process of washing. Um, and the disciples were not observing the traditions of the Pharisees. They just went in and began to eat their food without washing their hands in a ceremonial way. Now, you have to understand that the, the Pharisees in the Jewish community were into a whole bunch of traditions, um, just a whole bunch of traditions. Um, and they viewed these things, the Pharisees, as being equal to the commands of God. And the way they passed on the traditions that they were coming up with was by, by orally reciting them from generation to generation. So they became what were called the oral traditions. And, and hand-washing fell into this category. And the Pharisees taught that before you could eat, you had to go through this ritual of of, of ceremonial purification by, by dousing your hands a certain way in water. And the, 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 why they did this was to, 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 to purify their heart, so to speak, to be ready uh, to ingest food because, you know what, they could have run into an undefiled, or a defiled Jew, I should say, out there who wasn't observing any of this and accidentally touched them. Or even worse than that, they could have touched a Gentile, someone who's not Jewish, and, and become defiled. And so they needed to purify themselves so that they could eat the food properly. And the Pharisees considered these traditions on equal footing with those things of, of God, of the commands of God. And therein lied the issue and the problem. And they didn't expect commoners to keep these traditions. The Pharisees expected their group of followers and one another to keep these traditions. And when they saw Jesus rising up to the status of teacher in their culture and becoming very popular, they said, we better rein this guy in, and he better become one that promotes traditions like we do. And so they begin to ask him, why aren't you, as a popular teacher uh, in Israel, following our traditions? And time after time, he had this kind of conflict, Jesus, with the Pharisees. Um, where they were elevating man-made rules and traditions uh, to be equal to, with the commands of God and sometimes above the commands uh, 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 of God. And Jesus simply said to the people around there at the end of the teaching today that I shared with you, hey, what goes into you, that doesn't follow you. It's what comes out of your heart. That, that's illustrative of what's going on in your heart. And it's showing whether you're defiled or, or, or not. And so Jesus always got to the heart of the matter. These traditions they're not what make you okay with God. What you eat doesn't defile you. It's what comes out of you. What, what's going on in your heart that, that matters. Which uh, brings us to, to uh, um, point number two here on when traditions are hurtful rather than, than, than helpful. Um, when the tradition becomes routine and not heartfelt. Our faith in Jesus Christ, our faith in God is always to be heart engagement. Amen. It's always about how's your heart doing uh, with the Lord. Mindless recitation uh, uh, of a ritual, of, a, of, of some kind of statement, uh, uh, or a lack of understanding of, of some tradition, and just mindlessly reciting it, that doesn't make you okay. In fact, I think that's hurtful. It has a numbing process on us. It, has a, has a, it creates a callousness uh, in us uh, to the things of God. And the Pharisees had a mind-numbing amount of traditions, minute, you know, 
traditions that were to be observed. And Jesus says, you hypocrites. That's not friendly talk, is it? Now let me explain what he means when he uses that word hypocrite here. It's referring to a play actor. Hypocrite in that time meant play actor. One who makes judgment of others undercover, so to speak. So what Jesus was saying to these Pharisees is, you bunch of pretenders. You're hiding behind this cloak of deception. You're doing all these things for outer appearance. You're playing games. You're play acting. And you want us to play along with you, and I will not play with you. Because God looks at the heart, not at the outward appearance. Amen? And he wants our hearts to be his. And you're about outward appearance and pretending. And God's all about heart worship. And so when tradition becomes routine and not heartfelt, that's problematic. Amen? We don't want to be in that category. One last way that traditions can be hurtful is, and then we're going to talk about how they're helpful. They are definitely hurtful when the tradition conflicts with or changes the clear intention of God and of his commandments. God clearly commands in Scripture that you and I are to honor our father and mother, that it may go well with us, and that we may live long on this earth. If you've had any children, you know this commandment. Amen? Come on. Don't some of you say that to your kids when they're mouthing off to you? Don't you do that? Am I the only one that does that? Ah, oh, man. Anyway, you know what? I, I, it's a really important command. All things set aside. The Lord tells us to honor our parents, that it would go well with us and we live long on this earth. Now listen, this is not a conditional command. It doesn't say honor your mom and dad if your mom and dad are honorable. It says you honor your mom and dad. Are you hearing me today? You honor your mom and dad so it goes well with your soul. Because God has placed them as authorities in your life, therefore you honor them, and that is a blessing to you. Amen? Now, if your parents are lovely people and, and, and delightful people, then that, that, that honoring them becomes a delight. It becomes duty when they're not so honorable, right? But still honor them. You're doing it to please God and to put yourself in a spiritually in a good place. Well, here's what was going on. It, 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 these Pharisees had a man-made tradition called Korban. And what Korban means simply is an offering. And what, what was going on was... Some of the Pharisees and some of the well-to-do Jewish uh, uh, people at that time were saying, all my resources and all my money that I had is korban. What that means is I, I'm, I'm offering it to God. But what happens is that didn't take place until they died. So while they were alive, they could use the money any way they wanted to. But all their resources were, so to speak, korban. They were dedicated uh, to God, and that person looked very pious and very religiously superior. But then what they were doing is using it as a loophole. When mom and dad would come to them and be in need, they'd say, sorry, I cannot help you. My resources are Corban. They've been given to God, and I can't meet your needs. So they were violating the command to honor your parents, to take care of their parents, and using this religious loophole that they had created of Corban to get out of their duty, their command of God to take care of their parents. You see what was going on here? And then what would happen is if that, that person realized, oh, man, alive, I'm violating God's command, and it's better for me to follow God's command than do Corban, the Pharisees wouldn't let them out of the vow. They would say, no, 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 you made a Corban vow, that's it. You cannot change your mind. And so Jesus says, by your traditions, you're nullifying the commands of God. 
That's why I said that to the Pharisees. You, you can't, don't do that. The commands of God are not serving your traditions. Your traditions should serve the commands of God, amen? You see the order here? And they had the order wrong, and besides, it was, a, it was just a bad tradition. And so when a tradition subverts the clear intentions of God's commands, then it's hurtful, and Corban had become a religiously acceptable way to neglect your parents. And therein lied the problem. So traditions are hurtful when they change the law or commands of God, when they, when they are in opposition to the law or commands of God. They are hurtful if they are just route, routine. You, you, you're just reciting them mindlessly, and they're not heartfelt. And they're hurtful when they're, they're man-made and legalistic. Okay, are you getting this? So now we're going to turn the corner and go to helpful. And this is what we're going to look at for the rest of the hour and for the next four weeks. So I got the hurtful part out of the way, and now we're going to get to the helpful part. Traditions are helpful when it causes you to remember, receive, rejoice, or rediscover truth about Jesus and relationship with him. So traditions are helpful when they help you to remember, receive, rejoice, or rediscover truth about Jesus and relationship with him. Now remember, I'm talking about this in the context of our faith, okay? Of our Christianity. So their traditions are helpful when they help you to remember, receive, rejoice, or rediscover Jesus. Amen? That's when our traditions are helpful. If they don't do that, chuck them out and don't worry about it and don't feel guilty. Amen? Did I just rattle some of your cages by saying that? Because there's a lot of tradition that we carry along with us that are, are hurtful. If they help us to remember, to receive, to rejoice, and rediscover Truth about Jesus and relationship with the Jesus, then they're helpful. If they don't do that, throw them out. Let me give you an example of how this works by using an Old Testament uh, practice of Passover. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, we're told that God delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians by mighty signs and wonders, specifically by ten plagues, culminating in the, in the plague of the death of the firstborn. And here's what happened. Um, God told Moses, the leader of Israel at that time, that, that I'm going to send this angel of death. And anybody who does not have blood painted over the doorsills of their home, the firstborn of that household is going to die. So tell the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb, paint the blood over the doorsills of their home, so that the angel of death will pass over your house, and my judgment will be stayed. It will not come upon that house. So the Israelites did that very thing. They sacrificed lambs. They painted the doorsills with blood. God, as he said, sent this last plague on the land of Egypt, and, and the angel of death only visited on households that did not have the doorsills painted with blood, and those ones experienced the death of their firstborn. And there was mourning and weeping and wailing throughout the land, but the Israelites were spared. And the Egyptians were so, uh, you know, taken aback and so devastated by this plague that they said to the Israelites, get out of here. Just get out of here. We don't even want you in the land anymore. They, and they hurried out of the land, and they hurried out of the land so quickly that it, their bread didn't even have a chance to rise. And so unleavened bread is associated with the passing over of the angel uh, of death and all that. So then God said to the Israelites, I want you to annually remember this day, and that, that, that remembrance day became Passover. 
And once a year, I want you to remember what I did for you here in, in Egypt and delivering you. And so once a year, the, the Israelites would celebrate this thing called Passover. And part of what they were doing was remembering that God had delivered them. So annually, they took a break from life. And they said, God delivered us. When we were small and destitute and helpless, he delivered us from slavery out of Egypt. And then what they were supposed to do at Passover is to receive anew the mercy and the love of God. As they reflected on who God was and what he's done for them, it caused them to once again say, man, we serve a God who delivers. And, and we receive that today. We receive who he is. We receive his love. We receive his mercy. And it was a time of celebration. There were, you know, all kinds of rituals associated with Passover, the Seder Supper and all that, where they would just, you know, spend time celebrating and and, and calling God and rejoicing in God and then it was a time of rediscovery for the for the um for the Hebrew they would rediscover their roots yeah we were once slaves in Egypt and God delivered us and now we are God's people and they rediscovered it and also it provided vicarious learning uh discovery without having to go through it from generation to generation they would celebrate Passover and the older ones would tell the little ones we were once slaves in Egypt and then God came along and he delivered us and we remember that and you need to know that and you need to discover that for yourself now so you can learn vicariously that means learn from somebody else without having to go through it yourself novel idea amen and so every time they did Passover it was a it was a point of discovery and rediscovery uh, for the nation of Israel and that my friends is how a tradition is helpful if it helps us to remember helps us to receive, helps us to rejoice, and helps us to rediscover truth about Jesus and relationship with Jesus. Then it's helpful. And I'm one that thinks traditions are okay. I'm not up here to say we shouldn't follow any traditions as the people of God. We should just be smart in the traditions that we follow and how we use those traditions. And the reason I picked Passover was is because it relates to our Easter so well. Easter is the Christian Passover, so to speak, because Jesus died on the cross for us, right? And God says to you and I, any of us that put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now covered by his death, by his blood. And the angel of death, what? Passes over us. Judgment of God passes over the Christ follower. And so every year when we celebrate Christmas, part of what we're celebrating at Christmas is saying, wow, God, because Christ has come, Easter came, and he's died for us because you became one of us and died for us, the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I'm covered by the blood of God. So then, as we're looking at holidays, I'm going to switch to Easter now, all right? So then, then at Easter time, we, we, can, we can rejoice that, you know what? God's judgment's passed over us. We were called to remember that. And we're supposed to receive it new every year. We're supposed to marvel at the marvelous mercy of God. And we're supposed to rejoice and be celebrated in what God has done for us. We were small. We were destitute. We were helplessly lost and, and sinful. And our enemy, Satan, was big and looming and a terrible taskmaster. And then we were supposed to, we were supposed to celebrate that deliverance. And, and last of all, guess what? You know what? We're supposed to rediscover anew every year what God has done for us. So that's the right use of Easter. So now what we're going to do for the next four weeks here at Christmas time is, is use Advent in the way I just described. So each week of Advent, beginning next week, the first week of Advent, we're going to use one of these words that are helpful. 
So next week, as we light the candle of hope, we're going to hopefully remember that our God is a promise-keeping God, that he promised to send Messiah. He fulfilled that promise. That's what Christmas is all about, right? God incarnate, God among us, God in flesh. And we remember that our God's a promise-keeping God. Therefore, when he promises you and I that we have salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, we can rest in that hope. Amen? It's a certain hope. And when he says he's going to return again, we can rest in that certain hope. And so what, what's supposed to happen with Advent and what's supposed to happen with a, a, with a uh, tradition used rightly is we remember who God is. And it spurs us on into faith of what he will do. So the first week is about remembering. The second week is about receiving. We relate, relate the love candle that week. And you know what? Um, man, God came and he, to us because he so loved the world. I, I tell you, you know how you show love? By being present. If I tell somebody, hey, I love you, but I don't want to spend any time with you, you know, I, I don't know what that is. That's sentimentalism, but that's not love. Love means I spend time with somebody. And God said, I so love this world, I'm sending someone to be present, my son. And he, he's going to go through the incarnation. He's going to put on flesh. He's going to be one of them. Jesus dwelt with us. He loves us. And we need to learn to be one to receive that love. Revelation talks about this idea that we are the bride of Christ and we are becoming who he wants us to become. And there's this, this continually receiving that we're supposed to do in this. And so Every year at Christmas, what's supposed to transpire is you and I, in a new way, receive the love of God. And the depth of that should increase, not decrease, as we mature in Christ. I think sometimes we think, well, I've heard about the story of Jesus a zillion times. Yeah, but it should be spiraling down deeper and deeper and deeper in your soul. And it should be doing different kinds of works of depth in you all the time. That's how a tradition should work. It should create in you a depth that you otherwise wouldn't have. And then the next week, we're going to light the joy candle. We're going to have kids and youth doing the Christmas program up here. And we're going to just celebrate. And then we'll have cookies because everybody celebrates with a cookie. Amen. And then um, simple things help you to celebrate. And Christmas is about a celebration that God came. And we join in with the angels who celebrated that the plan of God unfolded before their uh, eyes, you know. And, and I mean, Christmas should be a time of joyous celebration. How are you when it comes to joyous celebration? Are you good at that? Do you ever do a happy dance? Do you ever just let her rip? You stoic, Scandinavians, some of you. Not all of us are that. Do you do, do you let it just... I don't know. I'm not very good at rejoicing. I'm learning to be better because I have little kids. Sometimes you just play around with your grandkids and just have fun because they're just, they're just fun, you know. But do you just have some joy in you ever? I mean, that's what this holiday is about, is trying to help us to understand that the joy of the Lord is indeed our strength, and we need to walk out of here full of the joy of the Lord, and the world needs to see a bunch of people that are actually joyous. Amen? Because Christ is in us. And so Christmas is an annual help in that thing becoming a reality in our lives. And then lastly, we'll light the peace candle. That's actually the Sunday right before Christmas Eve this year. And I tell you, when I became a Christ follower, nothing affected my life like understanding I was finally at peace. Up until that point in my life, I remember this. I didn't sleep very well through the night. I was really nervous. Um, 
uh, I, was, I would have nightmares, and death uh, was a fearful thing to me. And then I remember getting saved and remember sleeping and having a peace for the first time in my life, having a peace. Do you remember that? If you're Christ follower today, do you remember what that feels like? And I know for me, I have to constantly rediscover the peace of God in my life. I'll go through something and I'll go, oh, I'm anxious or I'm, I'm, I'm you know, not resting in God's provision here. And it's a rediscovery process for me frequently of the peace of God. And so Christmas affords us an opportunity, this particular Advent Sunday, of rediscovering that we are people of peace. Jesus is my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives you, give I to you, my peace do I give to you. Amen? I quote that verse all the time, personally. And that's part of the, of the, of the purpose of, of Advent, is for us to remember, receive, rejoice, and rediscover truths about Jesus and relationship with Jesus. I tell you what, um, I want us to become people who understand how to kind of redeem this thing called tradition. I want to encourage you, to, what, what are some personal traditions that perhaps God is wanting to instill in your life? You know, one of them may be that you become a person that has a tradition of reading through the Bible every year. We don't think of it that way. But maybe that's a tradition that God wants you to in, in, embrace. Now, what will that tradition do for you, reading through the Bible? Will it help you to remember? I think so. I'm being a little bit sarcastic there. Will it help you to receive? Yeah, you read God's word, you receive new insight all the time. Will it help you to rejoice? I would think it would. Will it help you to rediscover some things? Yes, it will. I remember reading some scripture and I thought, I've read this so many times, but I need to rediscover this truth because I've forgotten it. Have you ever done that? Maybe it's just a sign of age, but I, I find that happening frequently to me anymore. Here's a way we can maybe make traditions work for us that are classic holidays like Thanksgiving, which is really a national holiday. But here's what I've been doing with, with Thanksgiving. It is an occasion for me to think of somebody I'm thankful for. And perhaps drop them a note or drop them a text. And I'm using that holiday to be creating a tradition of thankfulness. No, I'm not saying don't watch a football game. Watch a football game. I don't care. But use, maybe use the holiday to create some thankfulness. Like that's its intention, amen? <laughs> and, and so for us, we can redeem it by doing that. Christmas is all about love. And love is, like I said, about being present in somebody's life. Maybe God is telling you this Christmas, you need to purposely be present in somebody's life. That becomes your tradition. I will do something for somebody or be present in their life during this time of the year, Amen? And then, how about Easter? It's all about sacrifice. And so, and that one, maybe you could say, what does God want me to do that's sacrificial this Easter? How would he have me instill? And these things, they become traditions that are part of those holidays that I think turn us to remembering and receiving and rejoicing and rediscovering who Jesus is and what his life is all about. Now, there are some traditions you can do just because they're good to do. I mean, I'm not saying all traditions have to be that theologically correct. I, I, one tradition that I've always appreciated that we've done as a family, and this is a credit to, to my wife, Vicki, not me. I just went along on the ride on this baby. Um, but when we had our kids, every year she gives them a significant Christmas ornament for the past year that encapsulated some major event that they had in their life. 
And so then over the course of their growing up, she would do this every year. And then when they got done with us and moved out, she gave them the gifts or the, the ornaments and said, here's a way of remembering family and the good times we had together and, and all that kind of thing. That was, I think, a brilliant thing to do. Doesn't God want us to have good family relationships? We're talking about that for three Wednesdays. Pastor Steve just did that on the screen, right? And, and maybe, maybe there's simple ways to really begin to create some family dynamics that are super healthy. And I think God wants us to remember our families. And, and I think that pleases him when we, do, when we do that. And so that was a simple way that we have a personal tradition that's super helpful. Be creative when it comes to traditions, amen? What is God laying on your heart? And, and be using them then to what? Remember, receive, rejoice, and rediscover who Jesus is and relationship about, with him. All right, we're going to stop there today. Here's what I would like you to do right now. Uh, we're going to end by uh, reciting the Apostles' Creed together, and then I'm going to pray after that. So would you stand? We're, so we're going to go to this tradition of the Apostles' Creed, which states the basics of our faith. And we're going to recite this together today. And then I'm going to pray uh, over us. I just want to give this one quick announcement. If you want more prayer today for anything that's going on in your life, there's a prayer team that meets right outside these double doors over here that would love to pray with you. Please make use of that if, if you need prayer or, or, or anything that's going on in your life. Um, so let's say the Apostles' Creed together here as stated uh, behind me on the board. Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And just for clarification, the Holy Catholic Church just means Church Universal, the one church of Jesus Christ, all right? Let's pray. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you uh, for this opportunity in what I would call an in-betweener Sunday, in-between uh, Thanksgiving and the beginning of Advent, we don't have these very often, Lord, and it has afforded us an opportunity to talk about, I think, something really important this morning. Traditions, are they helpful or hurtful? And I pray, Lord, that we're off uh, and running on this uh, topic matter in a way that brings your name glory. Today, Lord, I pray for the people of Grace Point, the people of God, um, to be ones to utilize traditions in a helpful way. God, help us to remember who you are. Help us to use um, holidays and, and uh, church observance days, um, you know, maybe personal uh, days that we do individually. Lord, just as days of remembrance to, to recall the goodness of our God and his mighty deliverance that he's given to each one of us who love him in Jesus Christ. God, help us to use traditions in this way. Help us to use traditions as a moment of, of being receptive, Lord, to you once again, to receive anew your love and your mercies and your instructions and, God, your guidance. And, God, help us to, to uh, be ones who celebrate frequently, and, and, and traditions should help us to do that, Lord, as they hook on to some of these major holidays like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, Lord. Uh, these are definite times that we ought to be 
thankful and celebrative. And I just think, Lord, how thankfulness is such a key component of humility. And humility is so important for us to be truly receptive to you, God, because you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So help us to, Lord, be joyous in thankfulness. If that makes sense, Lord. Just to, just, you know, thank you out of this this joy, Lord, uh, because of what you've done for us. And God, I, I just pray also that you would create in us this, this, this ability to rediscover anew some concepts that maybe are, are, are key to us as followers, Lord, and, 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 and the, the rediscovery of them, Lord, it's just good for our souls. And I know that traditions can be helpful in that regard, Lord. So we love you and we praise you today, Lord Jesus. We declare that all and everything is through you and by you and for you. And I pray that this day as we begin to approach and march towards, uh, once again, uh, the celebration of your incarnation, Lord, uh, that we call Christmas. I just pray that each Advent Sunday will, will be useful, Lord, in anticipating that moment, as Advent means just kind of anticipation in itself of something, Lord, that we truly would be uh, building up uh, to this grand celebration, Lord, of Christmas once again in a, in the way that the tradition then is helpful. God, we love you and praise you and pray all these things in the blood and the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said.